On this episode of Trading Camp, we interview Brad Jelinek. Brad has been trading full-time since 2002. He primarily trades ES futures, but has done a little bit of everything. Brad gives us a raw inside look at the life of a trader, discussing the emotional turbulence of the career and how he has grown as an individual over the last two decades of trading the markets. He gives a very unique perspective on how to handle large drawdowns and shares key trading and mindset techniques that have made him successful. This episode is brought to you by Rocket Scooter, the next generation of trading tools that will replace everything you know about trading. Built by engineers for the retail trader, Rocket Scooter's revolutionary algorithm is the first of its kind. It uncovers institutional positions and reveals market maker risk and hedging in real time using their AI scanner and algorithmic charting. Rocket Scooter has invented 15 unique indicators that predict high volume before it happens, allowing you to visualize price levels where big money is most interested. There's nothing like it. To see how Rocket Scooter is changing the game for retail traders, check out their three-month pro trial. Right now, they are offering three months of Rocket Scooter Pro for only $35 a month, knocked down from the original price of $179 a month. Take advantage of this monster deal by heading over to the link in the show notes and get started using Rocket Scooter today. Trading Camp has partnered with Elite Trader Funding, a proprietary trading firm focused on giving traders the opportunity to profit from the markets without risking their own capital. ETF offers a range of evaluations which tests your abilities as a trader. When you pass, you'll be able to choose from funded accounts ranging from $10,000 to $300,000. The only risk is a monthly flat fee. The ETF community provides an excellent learning environment and networking opportunities for those serious about taking their game to the next level. We are excited to offer our listeners 30% off of any trading evaluation on ETF's site except for Fast Track. It's so hard for me to sit back here in this studio looking at a guy out here hollering my name. When last year I spent more money on spilled liquor in bars from one side of this world to the other than you made. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheel of dealing, limousine right, jet Ladies and gentlemen, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Trading Camp Podcast TCP, episode 87. About to get started with today's guest, Brad Jelinek. Very, very pumped to have him on the podcast. A guy we've been eager to speak with. But before we do that, Noah, what's going on, brother? How you doing? Alejandro, what's going on? Excited to be back for another episode. It's always great when we get to interview traders um, with a lot of experience in the markets. I find that on those episodes, we... We learn a ton, and so I'm expecting uh, nothing less um, from Brad today. I'm super excited to hear his uh, his story. Absolutely. Talk about experience. Brad has been trading for over two decades now. So again, very excited to get the opportunity to speak with him. Brad, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Let's just start off as we typically do. If you don't mind just telling us about your trading background, how you first got involved with the markets. Yeah, I'll give you the highlight reel. So I grew up in northern Wisconsin in a pretty small town. So there wasn't a lot of trading necessarily around me. But uh, we had a mandatory physical education class in junior high school. And the teacher was kind of half teaching and half looking at stocks on Yahoo Finance and stuff. And this was in the late 90s, um, mid mid to late 90s, I believe. And I thought, wow, this guy is doing playing this game, not having to work a real job. This, this is what I want to do. I'm interested in this. 
So it started with just honestly at junior high, just loved it. Um, I might put folks had a water well drilling business in Northern Wisconsin. So I would work for them doing work that I didn't really like. And then in the mean, in the off time, I would be trading, just didn't know what I was doing. I was trading soybeans and S and P's and getting margin calls and doing all kinds of reading like market wizards books and all the classic books I read. And then, um, in high school, it was the, for me, it was the tech run up in before the year 2000. So it was a really crazy time, even crazier than kind of maybe would rival some of these crypto times, if not more crazy that we've seen, but it was in tech stocks and Warren Buffett was warning, you know, that it was, it was overinflated and there was all this stuff going on. It was like an exciting time. So that was in high school. I did that and was just figuring out what to do. I didn't really know much about trading. And then I went into college and then did my classwork and then traded as much as I could. Um, and then just studied after my exams when everyone else was getting drunk and stuff. I'd do a little bit of that and then I'd go and study trading. And then after college, University of Wisconsin-Madison, I got a finance degree, which uh, doesn't really matter much for any of this, but that's what I did. And then I got a job at a, a, a firm in Chicago from a career fair in Wisconsin. And it was a prop trading firm. And that was kind of the professional start for me. So I had all this background of excitement and enthusiasm. And most guys traded uh, bond futures, like 10-year and 30-year futures. So they wanted to build out the equity futures department. So they brought in me and a couple other guys. And we were. they just said, hey, you're trading the DAX and the Eurostox and the S&P. Figure it out. And you're the new equity division. Good luck. So we kind of just had to figure it out. And then I, from there on, I just one of the things I've been good at is just understanding who's who's good at stuff and where I can pick their brain. And so I'd make friends with people and and I would look at their trades and I video recorded my screen every day, watched all the big moves, watched how, did it, how does it look after a number? How does it look on a Fed meeting? How does it look on a, on a trend day? What does the order flow look like? And we can talk about how times have changed now. But so I was just recording my trades by hand every day. I'd print the chart and I would put ink blots where I did them. And it was, it was an Olympic sport. It was just all consuming. That's all I did. And I did that for 10 years. And then I went on my own and basically 2014 or 15 or so. And then since then I've evolved into other stuff, but I'm still doing that. And then I've, I've done, I do more stocks now as well. I did crypto off and on for a while. I'm now dabbling in building some systems. So it's kind of, you have to keep evolving. I've been through like three or four major changes over the last 20 years. So, and we can talk about some of that, but that's kind of the story, I guess. I love it, man. Something that I'm always very interested in whenever I hear the story of somebody who started out by trading at a prop firm is their willingness to bring on a new trader and not only willingness, but it seems like they really seek traders who have zero idea what's going on, who have very little experience. Uh, and I would assume that's because, you know, you're kind of uh, a blank slate. What were some of the things that they first instilled in you when you started trading at a prop firm when you were straight out of college? Yeah, and I know a lot of people are interested in this. Uh, a quick story to when I went to this this career fair, they had, I don't know if they have these anymore, some, something similar, but um, there was a few trading firms there actually. And the first one I went to just kind of told me to basically piss off because I had all this, uh, my mind was full of of ideas and how things worked. And I thought, that's funny. I'm interested since junior high school and you don't, you don't think that's a good thing. You don't think that's a good precursor for what, a, but apparently that wasn't a good thing for them. And then the next group thought it was a great thing. And um, in my interview from the next group, um, they gave me all these logic questions. You're dropping pennies from a Sears tower and it's windy 
and how many, all this stuff. And I remember just stopping and thinking like, I don't know. I just kind of, I'm going to do this either here or somewhere else. Cause this is what I want to do. So, and then I got hired basically after that. So that was kind of, um, I don't want to lose track of your question, but that was just the story of how I got in. But, um, can, can you repeat the question really quick? So I don't. Yeah, absolutely. So when you first got to, uh, that prop training firm, when you were straight out of college, what were some of the things that they kind of started drilling into your brain? Because for the most part, yeah, you didn't really know what was going on as far as trading. You may have thought you knew what was going on, but how did they rewire you when you first arrived? Right. So interesting thing. Um, what I thought I, I you really don't know much at all is, is the truth, but the will and desire is stronger than anything else. So that, that, that insatiable desire to make it, um, just, I feel like it rises above everything else. So I had that at a deep level and not surprised. A lot of people there didn't have that, even though they think they do, they, they really didn't. Um, so that was that, but you're going to laugh. We, um, we had classes every day with veteran traders and a lot of them were off the floor. And so there's some real characters, um, that you got that were kind of crossing over into the electronic trading era. So I was kind of like the first breed in the electronic trading era. And these guys were, um, crossovers and they'd have classes and they'd have a lot of old school trades. Like we close the gap in the cash, but not in the future. So they'd do these little trades to close the gap and unchanged on the day, like trade into unchanged on the day and selling it against unchanged on the day and all this kind of funny stuff. So we, we learned some of those old tricks and eventually I learned to sort of trade against those things. But the other thing we did, which was funny is they made us read the John Murphy technical analysis book and know all the patterns. And essentially we had to learn the patterns to kind of do the opposite of the patterns. Cause at that time, one of my first trades that I kind of figured out that worked well, no, this is like 2003 or five or something like that is I would look at all the confluence of the Fibonacci areas at really obvious levels and the inverse head and shoulders. And I knew everyone was looking at that and it would work. And then the second time I could feel it kind of walking up and I would, I would do the trade to blow everybody out who was doing that. So it was kind of screwing the people who were looking at the, so I did a lot of that. And then I realized that stuff actually works when no one's watching it really fast markets where you can barely measure it. It works, but in the slower stuff, it doesn't really, um, it's a little too easy sometimes. And so those were trades like that were basically how I got going. So it was, well, we did have classes and the best classes we had though, were some of the guys who were good would kind of talk about their trades for the day and how they thought about it. And that was really what a few people really knew how to think. Um, kind of, they were good at poker. They were good at, um, solving puzzles, just life puzzles and that kind of thinking second order thinking about what is everyone else doing? Why are they doing it? And what, when, and why may they be wrong? That's the kind of thinking that keeps helping you adapt no matter what technology does. So that's kind of the stuff that stuck with me and how I, how I kept going versus some of the gimmicks that just come and go. I mean, that's a great point because we talk so often, you know, even about just false, false patterns and how like effective that they can be in trading. And like, I think that it takes you a while. And even if you're like, and I understand that you had the benefit of, of listening to experienced traders sort of tell you, Hey, this is where to look. Even if you don't have that, I mean, and speaking from personal experience, you're, you're wrong so many times that you're like, wait a minute, maybe doing like the opposite of this might actually be something that's effective. And you, you can almost start to feel it. Like when you see the perfect, you know, the perfect wedge and the wedge is breaking out and you get long and you're like, wow, this looks like a great trade. And you, you can feel it start to turn afterwards. You're like, wait a minute, this isn't really breaking out as strongly as I thought wait a minute, it's back into the wedge. Wait a minute, it's breaking the downside of the wedge. What's going on here? You, it, it, it's almost like a, a, I think if you do it long enough, a pattern recognition 
um, you just start to to get that feel for it. And even um, listening to a to a to a, a, a past podcast that you had done, it seems like it it gets to um, it gets to a level where you ultimately just start to recognize on a on a day in and day out basis like and especially if you're taking notes and recording like you said you were and i'm sure it was much harder back then i mean for us you know it's easy to screenshot type your little notes and if you do that every day enough eventually you're going to start to to see the things that aren't working and eventually turn them into things that are and i think that that really is sort of how you can um, elevate yourself you know especially as a newer trader and so that's definitely something that we try and focus on you know all the all the time yeah i like that yeah yeah i agree with that so when you first got to the prop firm, you started learning new things. Was it off to the races or did you have the typical struggles that many traders have? And if so, how did you maneuver through those early times? Yeah, um, a couple of comments around that too is, and in this, in this day and age, a lot of us are remote and pretty much everyone's remote and they're looking for like-minded people to connect with and it, it can be hard. And especially connecting with people who are experienced, who have your style, who understand kind of your personality and what you do. And it's, it's valuable. And I had that environment when I started and it's harder to create now. And I think one thing I've, I've been thinking about is that that competitive environment, we used to have a board where they would show the top 10 traders, but they wouldn't give you your name. They'd give you like an ID number. So you'd know where you are, but no one else really knew where you are. And it was a sort of a kind of like you, the guy next to you is running the four minute mile. Maybe you can be a little faster. And you can see, wow, people are doing well and I'm struggling and I can talk to people. What are you seeing? I'm not figuring it out. And that that's valuable. And it, and I think a lot of times that's hard to, to pick up now. And I think that's one thing that I, I really miss about it is the competitive, a healthy competitive nature. Of course, you can compare yourself in a bad way. But in terms of how did I, how fast did I take off? Um, six months, took me six months of clawing around. I started making money um, and Remarkably, I didn't have a losing year until I lost money last year. Um, for I talked about my podcast, a bunch of stuff happened, but I didn't. I, that was my first year. Um, uh, so six months it took me, and then I kind of just kind of started grinding up, and then I really started taking off in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and then um, it got a little harder. And then twenty sixteen and twenty eleven were good, and it just started slowly eroding. Though I would say around twenty. 14 or 15, you started to see the machines coming in. And when that happened more, it the reading the order flow and seeing people buying and, and seeing that got more and more difficult because it was machined. So it would be like, it would not move, it would not move and move all at once. And back when I started, it was more like of a ebb and flow, ebb and flow. Like you could feel, like you could read it. Um, and then it, <clears throat> that changed. So then you have to, had to adapt to that. And I'll leave it off for there for now for the question. Yeah. First off, that's extremely impressive that you've only had uh, one losing year um, given how extensive your trading career is. And, and that obviously goes to show how important uh, longevity is. And um, again, just very impressive. But going back to when you were first starting, also very impressive that it took you only six months to become profitable. Because I think in today's day and age, um, there is an expectancy to be profitable that early in a trading career. Uh, but, you know, it's oftentimes unrealistic and people don't understand just how difficult it is to garner that sort of traction to where you're actually becoming profitable. So you did do it um, in a relatively short period of time. Um, but early on in your trading career, again, I'm, I'm just trying to kind of fill in some of the blanks here. 
uh, because a lot of our, our listeners are traders who are early on in their careers. When you first started to become profitable, what were some of the risk management techniques that you were implementing that kept you alive and on the right track, even when your experience was obviously um, you know, relatively little to you know, how much you know today? Yeah, for sure. I'll quickly address the um, the last point again, and then I'm gonna I'll answer that. So, in terms of now, I think it's different. When I started, it, I had a good environment. I had um, <clears throat> I learned how to trade events and data and other things, and there was just more opportunity to make money faster and get on get your feet under uh, under you sooner. So, I think now the way people are doing it on their own a lot and reaching out like folks like yourself, I, I feel like you need to really be ready for that 18 month to three year haul to give yourself the money and the patience to do it. So my situation, it wasn't like Brad was so great as much as I just had a good environment. And then I, you know, I, I wanted to, that's all I was doing, but at the same time I had a good environment. So that's, that's one thing that, and in terms of my track record, I had, I've had periods of six months and nine months where I haven't made money. I've had periods where I've lost almost a whole year in a few weeks or a month. So I've had a lot of tough stuff happen. That's just kind of the way the chips fell um, on the year that I mentioned, although the track record. But um, okay, so to your question, risk management, my style has always been to enter a little smaller, feel the market, um, add and add again, and then get tight with those ads as it starts working. Um, Have a tight stop on those ads. That's generally how I trade. I don't like to go in hard all at once um, because a lot of times I'm, I just get those those cuts. Those first few cuts are so brutal. And I like to feel that market. And I know some people think, well, if you're bullish, you should buy as much as you can at the best spot. And I find that, especially in futures, there's so much stop running. So I want to feel, and usually I'm a little off. And then I feel like when they get everybody out, if it comes back, there's an ad and then it might be another ad. And then there's like a real protection mechanism tightly to those. And then I, that original position, I can give a little more room. And then I have that base position on longer. So for me, it's always like 30% winners, losses, small losers, and then some big days and big stuff. That's how I trade. Um, it doesn't mean it's the, the right way, but that's the way. So my risk management is sort of like that where I might have a lot of small cuts and it can get very frustrating, but I try not to just get walloped with big losers. I would um, I would love to ask as, as somebody who has been in the industry for so long, and like you said, um, you mentioned it right there. You know, it, it at times can be frustrating. Obviously, if you're a trader for any period of time, you know exactly what what Brad is talking about. How the market can can you know really really frustrate you at times. I want to know how you've uh, learned over the past two decades to really deal with that frustration and keep your emotions in check. Um, you know, for for like you said, for long periods of time where you can't where you haven't made any money or maybe where you're just in a, in a stretch where, like you said, you lose all of the year's gains in a couple of weeks or maybe a month. How do you, how do you keep yourself sort of grounded, I guess, mentally um, in environments and situations like that? Because if you hope to be trading as long as Brad has, those periods are really inevitable, right? You can't avoid them. So how have you learned to um, really deal with those and keep yourself grounded and, and just keep pushing forward? I'm smiling because it's my favorite question. It's what I enjoy talking about the most because ultimately it's just, I feel like this is the the stuff that really can keep you in it and make you happy in your life too. Cause you can be, you can make money and be miserable as well with it. So I'm going to be really honest with it. When I was in my mid twenties, there's times where I was driving home in borderline in tears, just sick to my stomach, giving my money back, seeing someone next to me who had more experience, maybe reach over and buy the high at the right time. And I'm trying all morning and so committed and just couldn't, I missed the move after working so hard. And it brings up emotions of, 
you know, when I was younger, my dad was always get out of bed early, work hard. And I had that mentality. And sometimes in trading, you do that and you don't get paid on it. And someone else does when they show up later. So I had that environment where I'd see what people are doing around me. And that that's the downside of that environment. Like I, we might not see that now in our, our own office, but, and it's just gut wrenching. And I went through a lot of, there's a lot of suffering on this path. It really is. And it's gotten a lot better now because I've worked, I've done a lot of silent retreats and meditation and all this stuff. But ultimately what it, like the highlight reel, what all I've learned is it comes down to every emotion you have during the day and in your life. But in trading is you got to just sit with it, get away from it a little bit and let it have its day. And then let it pass by you like the white lines on the road or the trees in a car when you're driving. Like you see those white lines, you notice they're there and they just, you experience them and they go by you. And I feel like that FOMO or that, scarcity and fear of not making money or the like the awful um, injustice of like you saw this coming and you told your friends about it even uh, in the morning and you still missed it and you're so pissed off about it and it's just not becoming that and seeing it and saying okay that's my experience today it's really tough i'm gonna just i'm gonna be here with it and that's okay and then it's going to go away eventually. And the next day you come in and do it again. And you try to not act from that spot. Like whenever you're in that state, it's so hard, but you try to not act from that spot because every time you act from that spot, it's just not, you know how it is. It's not, if you do that a thousand times, you'll never win. So you have to just try to stop acting. And it feels, it never feels good, but eventually it starts to feel easier and the injustice dulls, the anger dulls. And I still feel it, but it just dulls. And then it's like, okay, well, it's like a person that used to really annoy you with their behavior. And now you're kind of like, yeah, I see it, but it's okay. And it just gets like that. It just gets not as bad. And then you tend to not act out. And then those bad losing days are less bad. And then the good days still come. And then the, the game goes on. So that's really like, it's not, it's just kind of hard work, but it, it's really like life's work because that can help you in, in all aspects. I love that. It's just not as bad. Again, speaking from personal experience, I almost feel like as um, as a newer trader, when you first start out and those things frustrate you, you think about it. And even if you're like an optimistic and dedicated person like myself, like Alejandro, like a bunch of other traders that we know, like it can be easy to say, well, you know what, eventually I'm going to be so good at trading that like, this isn't going to happen. So like, I'm not really worried about that. Like I'll, I'll be fine down the road. I, you know, these emotions won't really bother me. I won't experience them, but it, it's awesome to hear you say, and so many other experienced traders say that that feeling, those emotions never, ever, ever go away. No matter how good you get, no matter how long you're in this game, it really is just a matter of you learning how to deal with them differently and more productively and less destructively, really, because that's really where, you know, especially for newer traders, you can do a lot of damage to your account, to your mental health. Um, just, it's just getting lost in the sauce, for, for lack of a better word. It's just getting lost in those emotions and really letting them control you and, you know, control the rest of your day you lose today, you know, doesn't mean that you're a bad trader. doesn't mean that you're a bad person. You can still come in tomorrow and you still have that opportunity um, to, you know, make up for it and go at it again. Right. And so I think that hearing experienced traders say that every single time that I hear that, it makes me smile because I think that, you know, at the end of the day, that really is what trading is, right. Is learning how to deal with those inevitable emotions, those inevitable um, downsides to our job and ultimately come out on top still. So love that answer. And I'll just add a little bit because I love this topic so much, so important, I feel like, is that they really, they do get less painful. They do. Um, they, they they won't go away, but they feel like, for instance, I used to be, for me, it's injustice is a big one. And it, I would just, I deserve this. I, I saw it. 
I was there for it and I missed it. And I just could not let go of that anger and that unfairness kind of aspect of things because trading is life's not fair. Trading's not fair sometimes. And it just isn't as bad anymore because I've worked with it. But this, the dirty little secret is, is that this stuff is not, it, we, if we think that the trading caused the injustice or the anger, it's actually not true. It's inside of you is injustice and anger throughout whatever, whatever experiences you've had in your life. And trading is just showing them to you. So when you start healing them in trading, you heal them in your life. So it's like a whole, this is why this is a like spiritual process, this whole thing. It really is. There's a lot of personal growth in trading um, because you learn to deal with that. So people who make it for a long time have had to face that or else they probably don't make it or they're really not very happy in their life because it's tough because it's bringing up a lot of tough emotions. Do you think that emotional journey that you're talking about has been a main driver for you sticking around this long? For sure. Um, that Absolutely. It's just, of course, like the freedom and not having to work a normal job and having to be able to make money and play a game and like all that stuff that we love about it, um, that everyone loves is awesome. But that the real thing, I think at some deep level that you might not even really know sometimes, it's because it's accelerating your personal growth. Because if you're just at a ho-hum, boring job, you're not necessarily feeling fear, scarcity, comparison every single day or every week to the extent that you feel it in trading. I mean, and we've all, and you could, you've got different timeframes going on at once. You're in multiple trades, like all the stuff that we can do to ourselves. And it's hard to replicate that. I mean, you could probably run a big company and feel a lot of that stuff, but there's not a lot of jobs that are going to do this. So we, we're all going to be on a faster growth curve because of this job. Absolutely. You put that perfectly. Hey, Noah, what do moving averages, RSI, and MACD all have in common? They're all lagging indicators from the 70s with weak ability to predict future price action. Exactly. Modern retail traders need modern trading tools. That's why we've partnered with Rocket Scooter, an artificial intelligence and algorithmic charting tool that predicts where high volume will occur before it happens. That's right. Rocket Scooter's 15 unique indicators help visualize in real time where institutional players are interested on almost any stock and gives you a clear-cut game plan for how to take advantage of the underlying mechanics of the market. A platform like that probably costs a ton of money. Right now, they're offering three months of Rocket Scooter Pro for only $35 a month, knocked down from the original price of $179 a month. Take advantage of this monster deal by heading over to the link in the show notes and getting started using Rocket Scooter today. I know for me, that's definitely one of the main drivers is when I think about progressing in my trading career, I think about how far I've come or the developments I've made as an individual. And that's the most exciting part. And as you mentioned earlier, you use the word suffering, that there's a lot of suffering in this career. And there's no other way to put it, right? There's no way to sugarcoat it. There are those moments that every trader goes through that are well past that point of being frustrated or upset. It's real feelings of being distraught. And it's also just a very, very lonely experience. And that's probably the most difficult part because I can talk to Noah or Brad, you can talk to one of your partners, a longtime friend, and you could have discussions about, oh, I lost money and, you know, it sucks. Or, you know, you could go to your partner, your wife, whatever. And it still is 
something that at the end of the day, you yourself are dealing with. And it's very, very difficult at times to have to go through that um, lonely and painful experience. And I think that traders in general should be uh, more cognizant of the fact that if you don't do the right or take the proper steps to take care of yourself during those moments, during those drawdowns, during those periods of uh, emotional distress, you know, it can get really ugly. It can get really, really ugly. The emotional attachment that we have to money is very hard to explain. Uh, everybody feels differently about money. And when it comes to losing money, it, again, can be extremely, extremely painful. Um, so just to dive further into this topic, I want to ask you about some memorable losses that you've had and how you were able to manage through those drawdowns. If you want to give a specific example, that would be great. Yeah. Um, can I quickly speak on the first part first about that? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'll get into the losses in a second. So the um, sharing some of my journey, I haven't really said this on any podcasts or videos before, but I... I, my whole life I've been exercising, lifting, yoga, working out, playing basketball, playing tennis, all that stuff. And when I was younger, it was like just redlining myself with exercise, um, trading, working nonstop, staring at the computer and just going hard all the time. And I started to get like, I've had some bad adrenal fatigue I've deal with the last few years. And when you're in your twenties and thirties, like you don't think about this stuff, but have a couple of coffees a day, you go out at night. And eventually what happens is it catches up with you and you start getting exhaustion and you start like, it messes up your hormones. And as you get older, you live like that long enough and I'm recovering from all that stuff now, but I've, I've really learned the last, I don't know, five or 10 years, not maybe not 10, five or six years to, I, I have a sauna at my house. I take a sauna in the middle of the day. I take a walk in the middle of the day. I walk sometimes in the morning. Um, I'm a little more caught, less caught or more cautious about high intensity training. It's less of it. Um, just bombing myself out because you, you start to realize that you, your life and your body change and you can't do that. You can't live at that level forever. You can be way more successful at a different level, but it doesn't mean that you're working less or you're not, it doesn't mean any of that stuff, but that's just, you, if you're in it for the long haul, you have to start operating like you are. And I think sometimes when you're younger, you just don't, you don't think about it. You don't care. And then later on, you're like, Oh shit. Um, I can't live like this. I can't be going hard all the time without personal recovery, without, a couple of days off, um, just constantly looking at your screen, looking at reading trading books. Uh, it never ends, you know, self-help. And I could, I went really extreme on that. And anyway, so to the losses. Yeah. Um, let me think here. I've had some good ones, some big ones. Um, 2022 stands out because there was a year that I, it was, if I would have traded futures in 2022, like I normally do, I would have probably had a pretty good year, but instead I had experimented in all this swing trading stuff. And I got stuck holding a bunch of garbage long and basically doing um, stuff that I'm not necessarily as good at and don't know a lot about. And I just doing it way too big because I had made money in futures and I started trying different styles at kind of the worst possible time when my futures would have been really good. And because it was working for me in 2021. So I kind of started doing some different stuff. And a problem I've had is um, if I do well in one area, I come over in the other area and I, I just start throwing more money than I should at it. Like I'm an expert when I'm, I'm not. And I learned the hard way and I got, I hold, held some stuff too long overnight, didn't have good risk parameters. Ultimately, what it, 2022 is a little bit of an anomaly for me because I was kind of having a little bit of a, um, trying to get more growth and enforcing growth in my life. And that kind of caused a blow up for me that, I mean, if I was right-minded and trading regular, it probably doesn't look like that. So 
it's kind of a little bit of an isolated event that way, but that was bad. And I had, um, it's almost like, a, you know, when you lose your mind trading and you do a bunch of trades, but you know, in the middle of the day, you lost your mind. So if you review the trades after you lost your mind, it's not really you. But the reality is that happens sometimes in trading. Like you have personal stressors and other things. And when that happens, it trips that wire and you're kind of somebody else. So having those limits and things are, is very important. So um, so that happened in 2022. It was a little, little different. Um, some other bad losing days are, usually for me, the worst losing days are when I come in excited to trade, honestly. Um, and I really think something's going to happen. It's the worst. So I'm way better when I have, because subconsciously, yeah, the other worst losing days are when I have something to do. So it's like, oh, I'll just trade in the morning and then I'll go to my appointment. Because then basically what you're saying, you're saying I'm not going to be patient. <laughs> it means like I'll trade and then I'll leave, which means I'm not here to wait and do nothing. <laughs> so whenever you're here to wait and do nothing, good things can happen. But like when you're bored, I don't care. We'll see. Maybe nothing happens. Probably a good thing, right? And then yep. when you're not like that, uh, it's just being excited is fun, but it's also like a sign that you want to take excessive risk. And that's just not good. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it, I, I talked about this um, on Spaces the other day. I think some of my worst trading days are the days after market holidays. So like a three-day weekend or something where it's like I was away for a longer period of time. And it's like, all right, I'm excited to get back to the charts. Market's open. Like, you know, let's go in and kill it Tuesday comes in and usually those days the price action sucks too like that's just it that, that's yeah. usually how it goes is like just it'll open up. it's like let's go like markets open it's closed for three days you had a long weekend let's start trading es is in a four-point range for like an hour i'm like what is yeah. going on um you got 40 trades in a four-point range yeah literally literally that's that's exactly um that's exactly what happens so that's a great point but um you know i couldn't i, I couldn't agree more i think that um you know it as I've also, you know, gotten deeper into my um, trading career, I've been trading for like four years at this point. I think that a lot of the, um, when I, what I've realized is that a lot of times external stressors can really um, have much of a larger impact on your trading than you really thought. And I think that, you know, we all like to think that we're, you know, um, you know, we're, we're able to compartmentalize extremely well. Like, you know, if something's going on, you know, outside of the chart, something's going on in regular life, you know, I can just compartmentalize that, put it in a box and I'm going to be, you know, the best trader that I can be for these six hours and I'll deal with that afterwards. But, you know, it, it really is much easier said than done. And I think that that's really something that, um, like you said, comes with, um, comes with, a, comes with experience. And so, um, that's just something that I've, you know, been trying to focus on as well over the past several, um, several years in my career. I want to ask you now about some of the highlights of your trading career. Cause this has been like a relatively depressing podcast. Um, about, <laughs> about like, about like, you know, some of the, some of the downsides that we experience and why, why, you know, it obviously is important to talk about those things because you can learn a lot from them. I would also like to hear about some of the highlights of your trading career, not even necessarily just like big wins, but um, some of the moments in your trading career that really stand out to you as positive experiences that keep you coming back day in and day out. Yeah, well, thanks for asking that. Yeah, it's good to, you want people to know how things are, but you want them, there's another side. I, I tend to, like like all of us traders, we the downside hurts a lot more than the upside helps. We kind of just, we should be winning, so let's not talk about it. But um, I had a dream as a kid to do this for a living and I've accomplished it and I, I don't have any other job and I've done this for 20 years with no other job. So, I mean, that's great. That's, like, that's 
a whole life lived right there. So I'm, that's amazing. And I, I have to reflect sometimes how cool that is that I did that and I'm still doing that. So it's amazing freedom and I love it. And there's been, I always say trading is really hard, but sometimes it's easy. And then if you can stick around, there's there's patches where things are just working. And for me, it's been, when things are working, I make many multiples of when they're not working. And that's what I've been good at is lots of paper cuts and then big, big stuff. Um, sometimes a day will carry me for a month. Sometimes a month will carry me for a year. Um, and that's kind of how my trading has been built. So the accidents tend to happen in the direction of the trend. And I try to have my trading be similar that way. So doesn't mean I haven't made mistakes fading the trend and things like that. Of course, I've done that. But um, I've really tried to um, get those stops in um, when I'm really big or when I'm fading and just make sure that I have an out right away so I don't have to think about it. Because the minute I have to think about an out, I don't want to do it. You know, I have to just take care of it for myself. I've learned that the hard way. Um, I've learned that you can't lie to yourself. You just can't. Um, there might be a, you might have an account that can support a certain size loser, but emotionally, you're not okay with half the loser. So you got to be where you're at because if you trip your emotional stuff, you can't trade properly. So that's a big thing is to really be um, obey yourself in terms of your of what you feel like your number is that you can handle. Um, I think I just I really am grateful for the job for how and we back into this personal growth thing again because I use it in every part of my life. I have two little kids now and they they do stuff that makes you upset or and you have to grow from and you're you know you have stressors with marriage and, and things with life. And I just have learned so much in this business about how to handle my myself better and just be lighter and take things lighter and not take things so seriously. Because ultimately we're spinning around in space on this planet and we're guessing flashing numbers all day. And so it's kind of like a funny game that we're playing. And just to understand that um, it's just a game and it's, it's awesome and it is serious because we have to make a living, but at the same time, it really don't take it too seriously. And there's been so many bumps along the way that I can kind of zoom out and and have that perspective more now. I'll be honest with you, I did not have that perspective for a long time. Uh, it took me a while to get there. Probably, honestly, 16, 17 years of not having that most of the time. And sometimes doing really well with not having that perspective, but also suffering a lot and taking it harder. I've had others who, like you can... I want to make a point that suffering doesn't mean you're not going to do well. You can do really well and be miserable and you can be really happy and not do that well. So it's not, it's just about quality of life. Really. You can, you don't have to feel so miserable, uh, independent of how you're doing. So, um, I've learned that. And I just think the freedom of it, like freedom, every kind of freedom, financial freedom, spiritual freedom, time freedom, um, is the big takeaway from this. So I could probably think of better things than that, but, that's what comes up. A, a lot of it is perspective, as you as you mentioned. Something that I think is important uh, and that I tried to focus on. I want to ask you about your thoughts on this. Is you know the emotion emotional attachment that I talked about earlier with money. Um, something that I found hinders me, as you you just said. You know you can be miserable even when you're doing well, and I find that sometimes. I get way too excited or I'm way too happy when things are going really, really well for me. And so when I begin to go through a drawdown or I have a couple losing days or losing week, losing month, whatever, then I'm very, very stressed and the emotions start to take over. Whereas if I were to be a bit more flat and just take things, you know, as they are and, you know, one day at a time and kind of trying to stay on that, that level 
stay at a level emotional state, I'd be a lot better off. Are there things that you've done? Uh, as you mentioned, it took you a really long time to kind of uh, appreciate the emotional detachment and to become you know, more level-headed. What are some of the things that you have done in order to move away from that um, that hard grind and that, you know, even when you're doing well, you could be unhappier. How have you finally uh, turned the corner into understanding that, hey, the P&L is in everything? This is, I love this question. Um, it's a really simple answer. It's just totally embrace who you are. So I'm kind of like you where I get emotional. I get excited. I like to trade big and go for stuff when it's going well. And I don't feel good when it's not going well. And that's just my personality. And I know friends of mine who, and it doesn't have anything to do with who's doing better, who's doing worse, who are really flat and, and dispassionate. And they just don't, they're good at not, um, they don't lose as much as me and they don't make as much. And that's the way they are. You know, they, they kind of are flat and that's not how I am, but you can be yourself and flatten and, and still handle it better. So I feel like you, you can not, you're never going to be like this Buddhist monk guy who never gets upset if that's your personality and neither am I. It's just not going to ever happen. So you're going to always be fired up and ready to press things and like go for it. And then you're going to get stung. And then you're just going to have to manage the downside risk-wise to protect yourself against yourself because you know you're like that. And then you're going to have to just have that perspective that um, and ha- that it's I'm going to feel like shit in the downside. I'm going to feel great in the upside. But who's looking at that? Like I'm the one looking at that. That's happening, but I'm the consciousness that's looking at that I'm like that. And if you can take that stance, you can just be okay that that's how you are. Like your personality is going to be that way, a little more extreme. And you just set up a system around it and you just learn to love that you're like that because you're going to make a lot more money when you're hot or when things are going well. And ultimately, it's not necessarily about, I know risk risk is everything, but another way to look at it is if you make more money when you're hot, even if you're not the best risk manager, if you're good enough, you could come out a lot higher than someone who is managing risk better, but doesn't make as much money when they're hot or when their system is clicking or whatever you want to say. So I think you really got to embrace. It's kind of like an athlete who's like like Steph Curry or someone. He's going to shoot those threes like 10 feet behind the line. And that's just what he's going to do. And he's going to play his game. And sometimes it doesn't look good and it's ugly. And usually, and usually it's not, but that's how he is. And others are different and you can't be what you're not. So I think you just got to learn to love that, the natural skill set you have and not try to make it any different than it is. And when you do that, all the, and it goes back to what I said earlier. The real key here is that each emotion that comes up during the day, you're washing it, you're giving it some time to feel horrible or feel yucky, but you also have to do that with the positive emotions. So when you're doing really well, you have to be like, this is awesome. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to reward myself tonight. And then I'm going to let it pass by like the tree in my car. And I'm going to go in the next day and let it, this, I experienced a good day and now I'm moving on. Experienced a bad day. Now I'm moving on. And I know that my personality is going to be up and down. Okay. I'll work with it. And I feel like you can't fight it. It's just can't, you can't do it. That's that, that would be how I would answer that. That's great. Yeah. That, that's a really good answer, man, because I definitely personally feel that pressure to manage my emotions and almost try to make them go away. And as you mentioned, you know, you've been doing this for a really long time and you've just kind of come to accept this is the type of person I am. This is the trader I am. And 
I guess in my head and for a lot of traders, they have this image of what the perfect trader looks like. And it's somebody who's extremely unemotional, who has the smooth P&L curve, who takes super tiny losses and has massive winners. And somewhere along the way, somebody convinced us that that's what we're ultimately trying to achieve. But listening to you speak and tell people straight up, hey, I'm an emotional person. I'm going to take my losses but I'm also going to have my big wins and, you know, it doesn't always look pretty, but I've managed to come out on top. It's a very realistic look into what you've been able to achieve, not by molding yourself into a new person, but by kind of embracing the type of person that you are and understanding that, hey, I might not be the perfect robot trader that everybody wants to be, but I can deal with what I have going on. And not only can I deal with it, I can channel those positive attributes that I have. I have the ability to press the button when the time is right. I have the ability to make and hit those massive wins. And I'm going to learn to appreciate that and survive that way. And I think that there's a really important lesson here for people to learn is that stop trying to be somebody that you aren't versus embrace the type of person you are, embrace the trader you are and learn to work with it. And if you can manage your risk, one person can look extremely different from the next, but at the end of the day, with proper risk management, you can absolutely achieve those goals that you're striving towards. I think I feel like we've hit on some of the really important points in this this video on the emotions and this stuff because everyone wants to talk about. Um, I did another uh, podcast and I saw some comments. It was like, "Well, this guy's not telling me when to buy and sell. This is useless." And I'm thinking, well. <laughs> That's a very personal thing about when you buy. That's like me telling you how to play basketball or soccer. Uh, I, you do what you got to do. And I, I, I mean, when we know each other personally, we can talk about how'd you handle buying this? How'd you get out? That's that's fine. But blanket telling someone how to trade is just not not going to work because you're trading the way I trade and that's not going to work for you. What you said was just great just now because, I mean, it's so important. I can't really even overemphasize how important it is that think about someone that, that bothers you. If If someone's an asshole... And they say, and they know it, and they own it. You could say, okay, well, I kind of respect you because I don't really like the way you're acting, but at least you're being real. But when someone's being a fake, no one likes that. And it's like maybe that's not the best comparison, but it's similar for yourself. Like if you're faking yourself, it's only a matter of time, and that's not going to work for you. You can't lie to yourself and be somebody you're not. So I think that that if you just cut all the crap and save yourself a lot of time and just learn to appreciate what you have and, and work with it. I think this is a good time for me to ask you um, when to buy and sell stocks and how to be profitable <laughs> yeah. on the market. No, yeah. I'm playing, but, uh, All right, now give us your top three stocks. For <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. We will talk some actual trading uh, towards the end because it is important, but I completely agree uh, it is. with your point. Go, go. It is important. Go ahead now. Yeah, I, I was I was going to jump there now. I want to um I wanted to ask you because one of the things that you had mentioned is that one of the benefits of being in um the office when you started first working at this prop firm was having um the benefit of, of learning from people who not necessarily like you said told you how to trade. Here's where you buy. Here's where you sell. But pointed you in the right direction. And like you said, if you're somebody who's passionate about um, the markets, that passion is great, but it needs to be channeled in the right areas. I want to ask you, what are some of the areas that you think that somebody right now um, in, in September of 2023 who's young and passionate about stocks and has a lot of um, a lot of energy and a lot of drive, where should they focus that attention um, You know, when you when you first start learning and getting into the markets? Where should they be channeling that, that energy um, to, to learn and grow as a trader? 
Yeah. Okay. Well, it's similar to what I'm, I'm always reinventing myself. So what I'm doing, um, and I think would make sense is you have to at, at some point figure out how to think about the market. So think about the news cycle, um, emotional gaps on the open, um, things that you see that everyone knows if an eighth grader can tell you or eight year old, sorry, can tell you everything that's happening in the market, then that's probably already in the market. And that's kind of what we saw at 38, 3,900 in the S&P. Everyone was so negative, but everyone knew why they were negative. It's in the market. And that's, and I think a lot, and recently we had this big move down and the way I looked at it was when the CPI prints actually came out low, we were already at 45, 4,600 and everyone wants to buy on those prints, but that's already just gotten put in. And then we had a big washout before this recent rally here. And I think that was just people getting in at bad prices, buying the kind of the obvious numbers after they happened. So I'm always looking at, can I figure out during the day, especially because I'm, I'm day trading a little bit more than anything else, can I figure out why people are doing things? And oftentimes um, I'll look at the bond market because it's important right now because when rates go up, it pressures everything. So if rates are going up and we're trying to go down and we just can't go down, a lot of times in the afternoon, I think if they start rallying, they can really rally because everyone's stuck short selling the rate move. So I'm always looking at, I know that we the dollar matters a lot. I'm always looking, are people stuck? Are we going with it? Are we... Did we not go with it yesterday? Then today's the day we're going to go. And I'm always thinking about, can I think of why people are positioned a certain way? And especially when, when they're wrong. <clears throat> and I, I'm always looking at that. And I think that that stuff is never really going to go away. And that's a good skill set to learn with technology and changing markets because it's, it's very useful. Um, <clears throat> the other thing I'm doing is some other friends I have are good at thinking about um, little things like we, I don't know, where do we close after 60 minutes? And is it, um, after a number or uh, certain gaps of certain duration, um, do they fade or not? And you could come up with all these thought experiments. And I don't have much programming knowledge, but with ChatGPT, I'm able to just basically, I can do all this stuff in Python that I couldn't do before. So I'm now testing all these thought experiments and seeing like other little edges. Or an example would be um, last year, there's, an op- there's something called the opening range trade. And it's different. Uh, you guys might know it. The old pit guys used to do it too, where they draw a line the first minute or first 30 seconds. And then they traded and in the afternoon they traded again. So it worked really well in 2022. So the first thing I did was thought, well, everyone's looking at it. So can I look at um, when that trade gets triggered in the afternoon, when they when it retakes the range or whatever, um, and it doesn't work, how much is that stuck trade worth? So when it comes back and everyone's stuck from entering it, can I risk three handles to make five? Or what, what does that look like? And can I back test that and maybe set up a system to catch people who are stuck chasing what, what worked last year? And so I'm always doing things like that, trying to figure out little new edges or things to see how the market's trading differently than it was the year before. So um, I think using a lot of technology now to test ideas is useful because every, that's just kind of how it works now. Everyone's trading with a computer. Um, a lot of times when things move, they move at specific times and they go 100 handles on the NASDAQ or they move in. That used to not be like that, but now there's people doing things. So people are thinking like other people. So they're thinking about round numbers and and certain size moves and times to do things. So I'm, I'm spending time on testing that. And um, I did a podcast recently on w- where people are stuck and why. So I'm always thinking about where they're stuck. Um, I do other things that are more trend-based, like earning strategies and stocks and things that are very different. But um, that's kind of how I think about it during the day when I'm trading futures, which means that a lot of days I don't do trades if I don't see anything. It could be busy. I just don't get it. So I don't trade as much. I'm like, I don't, I don't understand it today. So... Maybe that helps a little bit, but I'll let you ask more follow-ups. Yeah. What uh, specific products are you currently trading? Are you trading 
I like the E-mini. Yeah, S&P E-mini is my main product. I used to trade the Eurostocks, but I don't do that as much anymore because I'm on Pacific time and it's just so early for me. So S&P E-mini, I trade fixed in like the 10-year and the 30-year once in a while. Um, if it's It's been busier, so I'll occasionally do it if something sets up that I like. Um, NASDAQ once in a while, mostly S&P, I would say 90% S&Ps because it's, a, it's like a sentiment psychological chamber. Like it just... It's so emotional and it reacts to headlines and news. And during the day, it runs stops a lot. It's very different than a stock. Like stocks and S&P futures trade so different. Um, and even other futures versus S&Ps are so like Forex is so different than S&Ps. So it's kind of, it's, and now you guys probably have experienced that. It's its own beast. So I've spent a lot of time on that thing. So I tend to trade it a little bit more. Do you avoid the NASDAQ or do you, is it just like a preference thing? No, yeah, I love the NASDAQ. I just... Um, it's it, honestly it's so silly i just have always traded the s&p more and it was thicker back in the day even more so i just kind of stuck with it right i do trade the nasdaq once in a while so when i have an idea like i think we're really going to go up or something um oftentimes i'll do both i'll have both of them on but i, I just it's just a comfort thing um it doesn't there's no reason i love the, the nasdaq's a great product i like to shrink the book down a little bit because it looks so crazy but um it's a great product but a lot of times for me it's like i'll come in in the morning and if I see bonds way down or something, and I know that we've already been down like four or five days, like before this rally, and it's getting pretty oversold. And we took out the, I love it when we bounce on the 50 day. I watch the cash moving averages because like the 50 day cash, the 200 day. And when we have those big bounces during the day, sometimes I'll trade those the first time down. Kind of a silly thing, but I oftentimes will. But I love, I don't like the market to ever really turn on something obvious like that. Usually always wants to flush those stops. So I'll always make sure they flush those stops usually. And then oftentimes it, the bonds are down big the next day. And then we kind of can't go down because we got everyone out the day before when we flush the stops and then we rally. And I like to know like, okay, I get it. Everyone bought the 50 day. They felt good. Then they got wiped. And now they're selling today because the bonds are heavy, but they can't go down. Time to go back up. Like that's a typical Brad thinking process, things like that. And I look, I like to see wherever I can find that. I'm trying to trade that way. And it's not easy to read in a book. It's kind of just what's happening. What are the new correlations? And when I was in crypto, I was also, I was using that kind of thinking um, around big levels, round numbers, and things like that. And you mentioned that you are now primarily day trading, correct? Yeah, mostly day trading. I have some position trades on too. I have a few on right now, but that I hold for a few weeks or maybe a month, but um, day trading mostly. This episode is brought to you by Elite Trader Funding. ETF is a prop trading firm. For those of you who are unaware of what a prop trading firm is, they basically provide you with capital to trade with, and your only risk is the monthly subscription fee. How it works is once you pass an evaluation account, you then become eligible for real money payouts. Now, there are a lot of prop firms out there, but ETF's customer support, the products, and the styles of evaluations they offer are unmatched. I traded and passed a 150K evaluation account, and they were always willing to answer any questions I had along the way. I wish that I had been introduced to them when I first started trading. Thinking back to all the money I lost when I was new to the game, getting the chance to trade a large account while only risking a monthly subscription fee makes too much sense. Not to mention, if you're trying to trade a small-sized account, you can develop some pretty bad habits. Trading a funded account lets you really put your skills to the test by trading more realistic size. Head to the link in the show notes to start your journey as a funded trader today. Okay, so I want to ask you about your daily process then. And I'm interested to hear your definition of a day trade because I think it, 
it can be a little bit different for for different traders. Um, so what does your preparation look like coming into the trading day? When exactly do you do it? Is it the night before, the morning of? And then what is the typical hold time, I'll say, uh, for your trades intraday? Yeah, sure. For me, intraday is just simple. It's I flat at the end of the day for the futures. I'm just not going home with anything. Um, and that's day trading for me. Swing trade would be I hold it for you know days or weeks. And then position trade, I'd be weeks or months. It's kind of how I... How I look at it um my preparation you'd laugh it's changed so much i used to have a big trading plan all these things i wrote down i'd read like every news feed i was so crazy and not that that's bad i would do all that and now um maybe it's because i've traded so long but i kind of just get up i go on a walk in the morning and i walk in i get a coffee and i just sit down and i don't do anything because <laughs> I, I i know the numbers i know the numbers that are out because I'm mean, serious. It just, it just doesn't. No, I mean, it's just awesome to hear. Yeah. I clutter my head with all this stuff and it's really like, I kind of know what I'm going to be looking for. And I know if there's a big number, I'll know. And I remember the levels from yesterday. So I know the kind of the main levels and I look at the overnight range and I'm, so I'm familiar with what's going on and I don't like to trade the first half hour. It just doesn't, for me, I like to see the bodies pile up and then I like to trade after that. I don't like, I like the afternoon sometimes mid morning. I like, I don't the first half hour for me, is just I know some people love it and I just don't really, I like to kind of wait and catch the secondary mover or some kind of a, uh, the eager people get screwed or something like that. If it just runs all day, then sometimes I get something in the afternoon or I don't, um, which is fine. But I, I really pay attention to the type of day uh, after a trend day, it tends to be more rangy. I'm aware of that. Um, options expirations are weird. Um, they're mean reverting. I'm aware of that. Um, I kind of stay away or I'm careful. I have a different strategy I use sometimes on those days. Um, but honestly, preparation wise, it's just like go in and just the less I do, the less clear my, I used to read like 20 previews before a fed meeting. What's everyone think. And after that, I realized, well, if I'm here breathing, I know what everyone thinks. So why put that preview in my head that I'm thinking something that, that then I'm not listening to the market. I just listen to the market and do my thing and things come to me during the day when I do that. But when I get my head full of junk, it seems to mess me up. So it's weird. It sounds like it doesn't mean I'm ignorant to what the opinions of everyone or I don't know the sentiment. I, I do, but I don't want to go too far into that or else it screws me up. There is a fine line, right? Between between like blocking out the noise, which we we talk about like literally almost every episode, blocking out the noise and really like tuning in on yourself and your own process and X, Y, Z, whatever that looks like for you. Yeah. And at the same time, like you said, being familiar with expectations, consensus expectations on numbers, if you're trading indices, um, things like that. Um, the, it, it really is a very fine line. Cause like you said, it, you don't want to over clutter yourself and, and, you know, have a million different things to check before getting into a trade. Cause then you're going to miss a trade. Right. But you, you, at the same time, you don't want to be, ignorant to what's going on in the market um so yeah you're i, I definitely agree with that there's like a, a a very fine balance that um i think traders have to find where it's like you know and what is enough information for you to be able to make a decision right and i think whatever that is whatever the bare minimum amount of information that you feel comfortable having before you push the button i think is what you go with because anything over that you start to get into hesitation you know um, analysis paralysis things like that um, and all those things are obviously negative for you and your PL. So that's a great point. I'll add on that that when I first started, I, I've had so many offices over the, I probably had 10 or 12 different setups, if not more. And I remember I used to get so messed up when my, I lose a screen or I would, 
like go somewhere else. I've been taking like a week of just being so naked feeling. And now I kind of just, I don't have that as much. It took me so long to get over that. And you're right though. It is important. It's also a personality based because I'm a little bit, sometimes I'm more of a right brain trader in a way. I'm kind of more of a feel and, and flow kind of trader. And if you're really methodical and you have checklists. That's great. Checklists can be awesome. Like I use checklists for some other stuff. Um, my system stuff and the programming stuff I'm working on, that's more checklist based, more metha- more structured, more mechanical based on like an idea and then very stringent, like the machine is telling me what to do based on my thought experiment. But my regular trading, I mean, things that do work really well that a friend of mine is very good at is the last two CPI reports, they rallied him really good at the beginning. And then the third one happens again. He's always like, you think they're going to do it again today? And he's usually always right. I'm like, no, you're right. Everyone's used to behavior about the last two Fed meetings, we sold off hard and rallied all day. The third one starts the same way. We try to rally and then we can't. So I'm always aware of like people get conditioned to think the same thing is going to keep happening. And oftentimes it doesn't in epic fashion. So that's kind of old school thinking, but a lot of that stuff is very valuable to remember kind of the, what happened um, last couple meetings or last big reports or payrolls or whatever is in, in the news. So I think that can be helpful too is to think like that sometimes because a lot of people are so like one of my friends said when something good happens in the news or good important news everyone jumps and does it and then it actually matters two weeks later and some of this thinking is similar where the information is like acted on right away and then it fizzles out and then it matters later like bonds often lead stocks but there's like a huge lag like a month sometimes so the bonds make a huge move and everyone's like oh the stocks don't care and then all of a sudden they care Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of like remembering. I'll set an alert on my phone sometimes, like watch, keep an eye on it in a month, you know, and I'll just tune back in. So just things like that. But it's hard to also to put this to an exact plan. So I could never program the way I actually trade discretionary. I have tried, but then I can program some other things that I'm tinkering with. But some of this stuff is just like, you know, it's just all these variables coming together at the right time from experience and things that I'm watching. It's funny you you mentioned like going back to previous um, sort of meetings, especially like when um, on news events, like that's literally something that I do every single CPI, NFP, like the night before I'll literally go on TradingView, replay the last meeting. And it's not necessarily so that you can do the same thing, but it's for me, I do it one because it helps me get reacquainted with that volatility. Like if the market has gotten um, a bit quiet in between the last FOMC meeting and this one, right. And, and, you know, volatility is not quite as much. Maybe I sized up for that reason. Right. I, I want to go back and just like, I will literally replay it on trading view just so I can remember what that looks like and feels like so that when the time does come print comes out and things get volatile, I'm not like a deer in headlights. I'm, I'm, you know, relatively reacquainted with it that that for number one and number two for like you said there are patterns that sort of develop um you know especially like when certain things are in flavor like i remember um um nfp has been really really like sort of sticking out to the market like especially lately but um like even last year when all the talk of the town was about you know inflation 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 every cpi print was you know extremely extremely important and you would get 100 150 point swings in the nasdaq um and things like that and then you know as time sort of goes on it it sort of fizzles out and so um for me it's just important to like see it right see it the day before just so that you're not like um it doesn't catch you off guard catch you by surprise that volatility because sometimes it can right if you're if it's um if you get like an unexpected print or something you get crazy movement um and you don't want to be 
I guess, um, you know, off of your A game, you don't want to be, you know, s- slow in the situations because, you know, the volatility can definitely hurt you. So I agree 1000%. I love that. I think it's such a good practice to just do that. Check out the last few events, get really familiar with the get ready for the volatility. I mean, those CPI prints were a hundred handle S and P moves, which is huge. Um, so yeah, it's getting used to that. And there's, there's certain little, like there's almost trading strategies that work better just on those days. Like Sometimes those Fibonacci's work really good, like right after sometimes like VWAP trades and things that don't normally work as well will work well um, when there's a surprise miss in the first test. So there's things like that you can use um, just for spots and then they don't work in other spots. And it's kind of like understanding what hat to put on. And that's like building all those different variables that, and then when the market just flat out gets busy, like in COVID, it's like a free for all where you could kind of read the book a little bit better. The machines come out and then they came back in like a couple months later and it kind of thins out and that's a different environment too. And I've seen that multiple times, but it doesn't last long usually. And then it goes back to wherever it was. 2021 is so different than 2022 and 2023 is like somewhere in between. It's different too. And mm-hmm. it can be so busy and then just get so slow. And you get you get used to like having to adapt. Like you have to constantly be switching gears and adapting to whatever it's doing. And it's that's a challenge, but it keeps it fun. But it's it's a thing to, to adapt to that. Brad, do you have any rules around account management or strong trading rules that coming into each day, you know, if things really start going to shit, this is only as bad as it can get because I have my hard stops in place or even on the long side, let's say, you know, you have a winning day and you're green because you do so much day trading. Do you have rules around, uh, you know, limited numbers of trades or are you more so, as you mentioned earlier, you're just going with the flow and your season to where you know the right things and the wrong things to do? Um, I have to have that max loss day or else it just gets, I've blown through that max loss day plenty of times when I, even though I've said this to you, and it's just a terrible mistake every time because usually my best days don't have to go down to the max loss first. They don't have to. When I'm swinging down and back up, it's not usually a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's just a sign of something bad. Even usually in the days to come, it's a bad sign. When, that, when that's happening, even if it works out. So it means I'm just I'm in a mood to take too much risk. So I really think that max down day is a great thing. And I, I generally adhere to that. On the upside, if I'm smart and I'm trading well, what I'm doing is if I have a good morning, I'm thinking I'm only going to risk like a third of this in the afternoon. Or if I'm going to just, sometimes I even, you can even cut your size in deep in the day on a really good move or a good day and just say, I'm only going to risk a little bit more because I'm trading smaller. I can't lose anymore. That's a smart way to do it. Um, sometimes I don't do it the smart way. And then I'll say, I cannot get back more than half of like a good day. I just can't do it. And I'll, I'll cut it off there. But I'll, if I'm smart, I'll, if the conditions are deteriorating, but I've had a great day and it's just kind of flattening out in the afternoon and I find myself in there trading, it's like, all right, pick a number. Maybe you don't want to, depends how good your day is, maybe 10%, it might be 30%. Like I just cannot, because at the end of the month, you're not going to remember anything except for the number that's left. You don't remember that you were an asshole the last two hours and give back your money. You know what I mean? It, it it just doesn't. So it's super important. That stuff's so important, I think. And it's so easy to get lost emotionally and not protecting that. I think you got to do it. Yeah. I've never thought about it like that. At the end of the month, you don't really remember too much about how you traded. I like to think about the end of the day, like as soon as the bell rings and you just kind of look at the number, that's all you're left with. And you made all your decisions. And, you know, there's, either that you know you're either feeling really good 
um, you're feeling bad, but I try to avoid feeling really bad. I feel like you can always control that, right? With that max drawdown, like you can look at the number and at least, you know, like you're not going to be happy. You're obviously going to be super pissed off, but you know that you're still in a position where you're going to be able to make that back. If you go past that max drawdown, that's when the emotional turbulence really starts because you're just so frustrated because you made the biggest mistake possible. Like you could make all these trading mistakes during the day, but as long as you stick to that max drawdown, you did what you you know were supposed to do. If you make the biggest mistake of all, which is going past that max drawdown, that's the type of emotion that becomes really tough to deal with because I know for me, I would have a lot um, of trouble forgiving myself. Like in the past when I've done that, I just, I can't help but think that was a decision based strictly off of emotion. Nothing, none of that had to do with my abilities or capabilities as a trader. That was me being really stupid. And that's perhaps the most difficult thing uh, to deal with. So yeah, I mean, you made a lot of good points there. Um, I think some obvious points, but isn't it funny how difficult it is to just stick by that? Like if you come into the day and you're like, the max I'll lose is 500 bucks, right? Like when you're at $450, like so hard. it is so difficult. Like why is it so difficult, do you think, for traders to stick to those rules that they know are simply there to benefit them? I think when you have a number, you're going to go right to it. When you're not in the right state, you're just going to go right to your number, no matter what it is. It's a, you better pick a number you can live with because you're going right to it. When it's not going well, it's just I've seen it. Everyone does it. Yeah. Everyone does it. So yeah. I think I think the, the I think all this conversation goes back to the earlier about the emotions because somewhere in there in that day you've missed an emotion like fear, scarcity, um, FOMO. Uh, I don't really get it, but I'm trading anyway, or I just want to trade bigger today. Like somewhere in there, that happens before your losing day. And if you get good at catching that, then you can catch the losing days. Otherwise, you're just going to go right to the number. So the number is basically protecting you from when you lose it. This, you know, it's like a you can, and you're so right about um, like your emotional capital is so important because it's everything. Like getting up the next day and feeling happy about like. Not happy about I want to trade and trade big, but happy about I feel like oh I'm I'm here and I'm happy to be here and I can trade if something shows up. That's a great place to be. But when you're sick to your stomach because of what you did yesterday, uh, I mean we've all been there. Sometimes I need to take a day off or a week off because I'm like I can't get this out of me. Um, I'm just I don't. Yeah, that can stick around for a long time because you got a small ball. Like when am I going to take two weeks to make one day back and it doesn't feel good. That's why the um, the magic of small ball, it's remarkable how when you trade smaller than you think, you find a way to, to get big at the right times and then you lose small and then you, you win big. It's just, it's again, my biggest periods ever have been when I'm trading small to medium size and then I just end up with a big trade on kind of by accident because I'm flowing. Like I just can't help myself. I'm just, all of a sudden I'm in a big trade. But when I'm trading big to start, it doesn't work very well. You know what I mean? It's just that, that small ball is like, it's like the company who sends out the little investments and then when they work, they add to them. But when they don't, they pull them. And it's the same thing. And it's just a very time-tested thing because it, it's feedback for you. And you're going with it when you feel emotionally good and when your stuff's working. And when you're not, you're cutting it. And it works. It doesn't, it, it's it's so easy to, to, I'm doing well, I need to trade bigger. It's like, everyone's like, how do I increase my size? It's like, you increase your size by accident. Um, when you're doing the right things, it just goes up 
It just does. Like all of a sudden one day you're like, well, I guess I'm trading bigger today. And then then you back down again and then you go up again. And then if the environment stays good and you stay good for a long time, you'll just end up way bigger. And then all of a sudden it changes and you got to cut down again. Like I've, I could be 10, 15 times bigger sometimes. And I'm not recommending people do that because it's I'm used to trading that way. But I sometimes vary so wildly depending on what I see and how I'm doing. Um, if I'm, I pull way back when I'm struggling and trade very small, it makes you feel, sometimes you can feel worthless and feel like a frack, like a, like a, a shell of yourself or a skeleton of yourself when that happens and everyone goes through that. It's tough, but just an emotion really. Cause you know, you, you identify with the size and what you used to be trading all that stuff comes up, but then all of a sudden you're back and it just takes one trade to be back always like one good trade and you, you're, you're lifted. So, um, that's always worked well for me. Yeah, you just got to keep yourself alive for that um, one trade. And trading small also is difficult because at the end of the day, you're trying to make money, uh, especially as a full-time trader where you rely on your performance uh, to pay your bills, to feed your family. Going into a day, understanding that, okay, even if I do well, I'm not going to make a lot of money. That right off the bat is difficult to deal with. But having the emotional maturity to understand that regardless of, you know, what I think or, you know, how much money I want to make, the market's telling me, hey, buddy, you can't be trading big size right now. And it's just those periods that you have to deal with until that next period of higher profitability comes around. And again, that's just maturity that comes with experience and it's awesome to hear you uh, talk about that. Yeah, and I might start, I often, when it's busy, especially like CPI or COVID or whatever, 2022, I start small um, every day and just bang out some singles and doubles. And then I get that flow and I often trade way bigger later in the day because mm-hmm. um, I feel it and I'm, I'm in it. Um, but I know I don't want to start big on a busy day because those hits in the beginning basically wipe me out and, I, and then I'm toothless right. for what's going to be a really busy next four hours and I can't play, which is can't have that happen. So um, I, I don't, it, small always, when I'm small and small is relative, so you could be big, like you could be, your small will be really big in a few years all of a sudden. And then your big is really big because you, I, the way I add to stuff and I like to feel the market and then get in more later. Um, oftentimes what happens is I end up being really big at the right times. And then I'm maybe way bigger than I thought I would be. And then I got a tight stop on those, but they just keep going. And then I have a great day. And the next day I'm back to playing, I'm small again. And that works really well when it's busy. Um, when it's not as busy, then sometimes I just kind of keep a medium size and I'm trading a little different. So you maybe hit a trade in the morning and you're done for the day. But when it's busy all day, very different environment, you have to be able to play all day. So you got to start small or else you can't afford to take a few hits in a bigger size to start the day. So it's always, I went through this in 2008, was a really busy year. And I, I learned how to, that really helped me doing that. And um, I, my size got way bigger than I ever thought by doing this. Um, and then, you know, the market changes and you have to change your size, but also, um, the, you just never know what you can make because you think, oh, I have a goal of making more than last year, but that's impossible to do because a, well, your skill sets are getting better every year, but B, the market's so different. So if the market's way busier one year than the next, you might become better, but you might make less money because it's just not as good of a market. So you can't really have a monetary goal when you don't know what the market is. So you can do it, but it's not bad, but it's just like being realistic with yourself that the market plus you will have the best year. You can't, you know, 
you can be the best CEO in the world, but if it's a shitty business, it's shitty business. You know, I love, I love that. Right. <laughs> <I love> that. <laughs> uh, Brad, the last thing I want to ask you before we wrap up here, and this is going to be a pretty tough question. Looking back at your 20 plus years of trading, if you could go back to the very beginning and tell yourself one or two things, what would those things be? What do you feel are the most valuable lessons that you've learned over your time as a trader? Oh, I can answer it easily. It's it's totally the the part we already had about embracing who you are. Like cut the perfectionism and the all the having to be this way or that way and just be just say, hey, I have this personality. It's great. And this personality has awesome attributes for trading and some shitty ones. And I'm just going to work around it. And over time, when I get older, I'll smooth out some of them and I'll leverage the strengths and minimize the weaknesses. But this is who I am and I can't be any different. I mean, you do change, right? You you adapt your skills, but your your natural like personality is kind of going to be what it is. And just really embracing that and taking it easier, taking it lighter. I suffered so much, uh, beat myself up so bad and on that quick side story, uh, Roger Federer, the tennis player, I remember he was a uh, breaking rackets and just horrible temperament as a, uh, a junior player. And he ditched all that when he became kind of the champion that he was. And it was just like a moment of deciding that I'm done looking back. Because whenever you're back or you're in the future, you're using your mind and it's never a good thing. And you just got to be right where you're at. And that's catching every emotion as it happens and then just dealing with it and letting it go. And when you do that and you embrace yourself, it's going to be really fun. The, the downside is not as bad and you're kind of lighter about life. And I watched that Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary recently. I don't know if you've seen it on Netflix. It's a really good one if you haven't seen it. And he just did a good job of taking life lightly. He made some big mistakes, had some successes, but just took it lightly. And I feel like that was a good example of what we have to do is we have to just be who we are and work around it and take things lighter. And that's what I would go back and tell myself because I really beat, I really beat myself up with the the missing the moves and the perfectionism and the I should be here and I should be there. Uh, you know, you, you, you're where you're at because you're at, you shouldn't be anywhere, but that's where you're at. That's the reality. So that's what I would say. Yeah. Awesome answer, man. Really awesome stuff. It was a pleasure uh, to get the chance to speak with you. Thanks. This was a I like very, it, yeah. very cool interview. Uh, very inspirational uh, to hear from somebody who's been doing this for so long um, you mentioned earlier that you achieved one of your life's greatest goals, which was trading professionally. And uh, as somebody who's early on in their career, uh, to get the chance to speak with you is awesome. And uh, I hope to be in your uh, shoes or similar shoes one day. So definitely appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. How can people find you uh, if they want to learn more about uh, your trading or uh, just follow you. I know that you have uh, a podcast of your own, correct? Yes. Uh, Trading Life Podcast by Brad Jelinek or tradinglifepodcast.com. No strings attached. It's just me talking like this. Um, a lot of the same similar content, um, just things I'm thinking about, how I'm evolving, adapting, um, and tune in and, and join me on that journey anytime you want. And I love doing this with you guys. I'd love to talk to you again. Um, if you want to text me personally, you can talk to. I just enjoy connecting and Hopefully we can all help each other and spend, this has been a really fun interview because I feel like you guys focused a lot on the emotions and the, the stuff that actually always stays the same. Because mm -hmm. And we talked a little bit about buying and selling and things, but it's the, the stuff that we talked about, I feel like is the main stuff, like the real stuff that matters.
100% agree with that, man. Again, thank you for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Noah, another amazing interview. I'll see you next week for episode 88. Yep. Thanks again to Brad, and we'll see you guys next week. Our content is intended to be used and must be used for informational purposes only. It is very important to do your own analysis before making any investment based on your own personal circumstances. You should take independent financial advice from a professional in connection with or independently research and verify any information that you find in our podcast and wish to rely upon, whether for the purpose of making an investment decision or otherwise.